Hey guys, quick note, this is going to be a weird episode when it comes to audio. We've had some issues because we're trying out a new mic and... It came unplugged! Yes. Audio's going to be goofy, so roll with it and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Return to Odyssey. I'm Josh. I'm Rachel. And we're here once again with all of your retro Odyssey critique needs. We are critiquing a change of heart this episode. But first, I want to let you know we are sponsored in part by Audible. And if you follow our link in the show notes or go to audibletrial.com slash return to odyssey you can sign up for a free 30-day trial that gives you one free audiobook and two free audible originals and audible has a lot more than just audiobooks just in case you're not aware they also have audio dramas they also have courses you can listen to mm-hmm. there's a lot of good material interviews on comedy they'll do news bites all kinds of stuff our book recommendation is stephen king's on writing the full title is on writing a memoir of the craft Mm -hmm. we are both fans of this book that's about the only stephen king i've read i've read a fair amount of his stuff i really enjoy him as a writer horror is an interesting genre in that it's very very polarizing and someday maybe i'll give an explanation for why i think it's worth reading for christians to read as well all of that said if all of you think of what stephen king is buckets of blood and snarling monsters then you're missing what makes him actually a good writer Mm, yeah and the book on writing is really just him sitting down and talking about the craft of storytelling and it's like sitting down for a cup of coffee with one of the most successful names in fiction and him saying hey here's how i did it yeah and it's a fascinating ride The reason I bring this book up is that it is half memoir and half storytelling advice. It's a book for people who are interested in storycraft that doesn't read like a textbook. It's very approachable. reason it's related to this Odyssey episode is because, honestly, this is some of the worst writing we have encountered in Adventures in Odyssey. So buckle up, guys. We've had some harsh critiques in the past. This one's going to get harsh. And a lot of the episode, I think, as we talk through it, is going to be us fixing the Odyssey episode and saying what they could have done better to tell a better story. Had the writers read on writing, maybe they could have avoided some of the pitfalls they fall into. Possibly, yeah. There are several other books I could recommend for them as well, but they're mostly very technical. So Yeah, I'm not (laughs) sure anyone besides me reads Strunk and White for entertainment. (laughs) Yes, although that's another audible recommendation. Yeah, Strunk and White's Elements of Style. There you go. They have a good grumpy Scotsman reading it. It's great. There you go. Two writing-related audiobooks that everyone should listen to if Mm. you're a super nerd. With that, let's dive right in. One quick bit of trivia. I went up and looked on the wiki. We've just done Recollections. And if you look at the Odyssey episodes in order, there are about seven episodes between Recollections and A Change of Heart. And part of the reason I think that is, is because most of those episodes have Officer Harley in them. Mm -hmm. There were a couple that I recognized. I recognized the titles that are later episodes that I think probably are re-recorded to have less of Officer Harley, and then there's a two-parter that is specifically about Officer Harley. Those of you who have been listening to us for a while will remember that Officer Harley was a really short-lived character in Adventures in Odyssey, that parents complained they didn't like him because they didn't want this doofy police officer character. They felt it wasn't respectful of police officers in general. And so they wound up just cutting a lot of those episodes. Mm -hmm. So that is the hypothesis of why there are seven episodes that don't appear in the album. We begin with a sketch with Chris and a new character. Dr. Schnitzelbonker. Yes. World famous scientist. In Odyssey, anyway. So Dr. Schnitzelbonker is odd, to say the least. Mm -hmm. He is voiced by Chuck Bolte, who is one of the executive producers for the show. Yes. 
Or the executive the producer. executive producer. Yeah. So, again, another producer, head honcho in the show, that didn't want a main character, just said, give me a funky, quirky, mad scientist doctor. And Yeah, and so Dr. Schnitzelbonker is the most overtly cartoonish character we've come up with. He has a funny name. He has a funny voice. This funny, exaggerated Germanic accent. Mm -hmm. You can picture this guy in your head. He's Think about Maurice from Beauty and the Beast when he had his glasses on. Yeah, he's like, my daughter, odd. Glasses, <laughs> hair big going white everywhere. Einstein hair. None of that is said, but all of it is communicated in the voice, mm -hmm. which is kind of a fun little bit of voice work. Yeah. That said, he has a funny voice. He has a funny name. He has a funny persona, but he's not really funny. He's just no, kind of there. there. My memories of, because he comes back at least one other time, my memories of Schnitzelbonker are that he's buffoonish and he ends up, not in this one, but in subsequent ones, he ends up learning a lesson from the episode yeah and usually it's tied in with whatever is going on mm -hmm. this one is kind not really. of not they have a nebulous machine the sketch is he's like i am going to do, do an experiment do and convert eggs, eggs into solid gold bars and Chris is like, um, okay. No, she <laughs> introduces it like she's going along with this, which I have several questions. One, this is not science. This is alchemy, which is the study of turning lead into gold. Yeah, but he's turning eggs into gold. Well, yes, that brings up the second question. Why eggs? I was also thinking that eggs into gold bars? He's changing not very only specific. the form, but the shape yeah. as well. He's not very, turning very them into random. golden eggs. He's turning them into gold well, bars. Well, we all know that for golden eggs, you need a special goose that you have to climb a beanstalk for. Oh, yes. Well... <laughs> Unless you can circumvent it with science. science. Hmm. So anyway, it's very strange and feels very random and inexplicable that they've decided upon eggs and gold bars. But he tries to run his machine, and instead we hear these cartoony, splattery noises. We don't even know. It's very difficult to know what, what exactly is going on. Or what the machine looks like. Or mm -hmm. There's random zapping and bubbling chemicals and... Science! Yeah. Science <laughs> sounds that don't really communicate anything concrete. And then they're like, oh no, the eggs didn't really turn into gold bars. No, they don't say anything about the eggs. We hear sizzling. Yeah. He's like, oh, how do you like your eggs cooked? Over easy or scrambled? And that's it. And Chris is like, ah ha ha, I ate breakfast. Turns out your machine didn't work. Yeah. Then that's it. That's part of what makes it very strange. They don't even say, oh, no, when it doesn't work. She just has this very lackadaisical, oh, okay, well, well then we'll we move on. Trying. Yeah. I don't even think she says that. And then we have the intro music and Wit does his thing. And then she comes back and Schnitzelbunker's gone. Yeah. He's never referenced again. And she says, we're going to find out what happens to Freddie Hart when he decides to change schools and himself. So I guess they were using this kind of alchemy eggs into gold as a metaphor for someone to change, change themselves. Yeah. They're but they don't connect anything social and standing or yeah this himself. is very strange for odyssey because they're almost too on the nose sometimes we've had issues with chris trying to theologicalize what just happened and she's sloppy with her theology but this is no connection whatsoever or the loosest possible connection yeah so i don't know what's going on with that and then we get into the story proper and Chris begins it by narrating Freddie is heading into the living room where his dad is paying the monthly bills. We actually hear an adding machine in the background. Which is a really fun sound effect because I haven't seen an adding machine in ages. We had one when I was a kid. I think your parents' old one is in the basement for the grandkids to play with right now. Probably. Without any paper in it. Yeah, but, we, we um, would use it and press the buttons and the paper goes through. We weren't allowed to use it very much because it was a waste of paper. Yeah. For anyone younger than us, an adding machine was like a calculator that fed paper through. It printed off your own little receipt yeah, of and all then, of the And then you had all of your addition and subtraction on the paper. It's fine. And it's not the last time that Odyssey will use an adding machine. Yeah. There's some fun use of adding machines later. It's in. just a nice retro sound effect. Mm -hmm. But as we get into the story proper, we do need to give a warning-ish. We mentioned that this is going to be a pretty negative critique of an episode. And honestly, this episode is 
broken in some severe ways. The worst offense that it has, honestly, the worst sin a piece of media like this can commit is it is boring. It is so boring. And to avoid continually coming back to this complaint, we're just going to make the several main complaints right now. It is boring. The dialogue is stilted. Nobody seems to care about what they're talking about. And what makes it so boring is this idea in writing known as show, don't tell. In this Odyssey episode, we do not have any scenes. We pass through multiple conversations consisting of, to use a comic book term, talking heads, talking about the problem and about the scenes instead of actually experiencing the scenes. There's no action. It's people talking about action that supposedly happened in the past. And we'll talk about ways that this could have been avoided, pretty easy ways that would have made this episode so much more compelling. Yes. But as is... It's just not good. We got maybe 15 minutes in, and I was like, oh my goodness, how much longer this is was this? This hard to listen to, yes. Which is strange because Odyssey is usually so punchy. Even episodes that we've ragged on hard in the past mm -hmm. that failed, at least failed in entertaining ways. Yes. This one does not. No. This one's just a drag. It does not make us care about anything. At least episodes like Day After Christmas made us feel things even though they were annoyance. <laughs> we can't feel anything about this episode. I had forgotten this episode entirely before uh, yeah. going back and listening to it, and now having listened to it, after we finish this podcast, I will do my best to, <laughs> to forget, forget it, it again. <laughs> yes. Sadly, because of how it ends, I think this is one of the episodes maybe that when they were first making Odyssey, they were excited about and they would want kids to listen to. But I can't recommend it to anybody if I'm recommending Odyssey, which is disappointing. But anyway, now that you've been sufficiently deterred yeah. from listening to this podcast Yeah, episode, and in case you didn't get this, um, we don't like doing this. We did not start this show just to poop on things no, from our childhood. we did not. We started because we love this show. And we are getting to better episodes. They will come. I promise. Stick with us. They will come. So, Freddy starts this conversation with his dad while he's paying the bills. Asking him about work. Are you happy at your work? You have no problems with your boss? And his dad, who, by the way, is voiced by the same guy who's George Barkley. Yeah, who gets introduced next album. Yes. But it's a fun little before the character, before the character kind character of deal. Cameo, yes. So he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm satisfied at work. And Freddie goes through actually several specific questions about this until his dad says, what's on your mind? And it comes out that Freddie is basically fishing for he wants to move. He's trying to find reasons to move away. And then his dad is like, why would you want to move? Don't you like it in Odyssey? Don't we have fun? Oh, yeah. I think you and me and mom have fun. But everything else, no. Just no. No fun. And his dad is like, well, what about your friends? What friends? You don't have friends? You take an hour to get home from school. We always assumed you were hanging out with your friends. And he says, no, actually, I'm taking the long way home from school instead of the normal shortcut. Because when I take that shortcut, there's kids that beat me up and take my stuff. Well, he and... doesn't even do that whole. This is part of the difficulty of the stilted dialogue is it's this tensionless response, question, response, question. Yeah, format. we're summarizing it for you yes. to speed things up. His dad is like, wait a second, there's kids bullying you? I will talk to the principal. And Freddie says, no, no, this has been going on all year. It's not going to work to talk to the principal. But if I go to another school, then they won't know me. They know me at this school, so they know how to pick on me. They won't know me at another school. And his dad's like, you can't just run from your problems. Mind your own business and it will get better. They won't bug you. To be a little bit fair, though, it's interesting because he kind of brings up this idea almost of wanting to reinvent himself at a new school. At this point, yeah. And and I would say that this might be a normal thing when you're young. I remember even up into my early 20s. When I was leaving high school, when I went to college, there was kind of an idea, hey, no one here knows me yet. Mm -hmm. I can be whoever I want. And then entering my first job and then so on yeah. and so forth. The fact is, though, I came to realize I'm the same me regardless of where I go. And I can't really help it. That's something as a kid that you don't really realize. You have to grow up and mature before you fully figure that out. So this is an understandable kid desire, level problem. kid level problem 
But there are multiple issues with just this scene. One, how long have they been in Odyssey? Because if they've been in Odyssey since he was born, for example, he's in what grade school? Then it might not be just a this year problem. Or has he switched school? What is the context? Well, of... and how out of touch are his parents yes, not to know? Yes, that if this has been going on the whole year and they don't know something's up, surely this would have manifested itself in he doesn't want to go to school or he might even be reticent to talk about it. They can tell something's going on. They're asking him about it. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't know. This dad seems se to be coming out of left field. Yeah, the and the dad seems shocked by all of this. He's like, what? Yeah, what's going on? And he doesn't ask him specific questions about, all right, is this all the kids at school? Who is this that is doing it? Where? Yeah. And what are they doing? And he's like, they're calling me names. They're Knocking taking... my books out of my hand yeah. and stuff. But he's still very general. I would be like, all right, I want you to tell me exactly what they're doing. And I want you to tell me where and who they are so that we can go talk to the principal about this. And he's just like, oh, I'll call the principal. Well, how can you actually ask the principal about it if you don't have any information? So all of this takes a long time. It's like a, a three-minute conversation. We went and timed it. Which three minutes doesn't sound like a long time, but in story time in an Adventures in Odyssey episode, it feels like an eternity. Let's talk about how they could have fixed this and within five seconds given us the same amount of information in a much more interesting way. Begin the episode not with him going to his dad, but with the sounds of bullying. Maybe we hear him slammed against a chain link fence, that cha-chunk sound, and we hear, hey, Freddy, blah, 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 yeah, you know. have them bully him so we know now exactly what is going on. It's not just general bullying. And now we don't have just a vague idea of mm -hmm. what bullying is, nor do we have Freddie whining about it. We see his pain mm -hmm. or we hear his pain. Yeah. We yeah. know what's going on. And we see how he's reacting because we're only getting his side of the story at this point. Actually, through the entire thing, the bullies are very faceless and talked about. We don't actually see what is going on. And it's very difficult to care or relate to this kind of thing. It's hard to relate to Freddy. To it's hard Freddy, to relate to any of the action of what's him. going on. In any piece of fiction or drama, we need to be able to have those personal connections mm -hmm. to characters. And when characters are merely talking about their problems rather than us being drawn in and experiencing them along with the characters, then it's hard to care. It's another layer of distancing from the actual character. So his dad says, we can't move. We're not going to move. And we're not going to switch schools. And gives him counsel to mind his own business and they will leave him alone. Which is good counsel. I just think he should have gotten details before he gives this Polonius-like speech about trying to avoid trouble. Right. One other thing about Freddy that comes up later is he talks about some of his interests, but we don't see them or hear them. And his the interests other... are things that other kids might make fun of, but we don't see that happen. One in particular, he says he's into butterflies. Or his words are, I want to start collecting I butterflies. Thought about, I thought about starting a butterfly collection. Which is the most non-committal thing to say. Yeah, he doesn't even have a butterfly collection. He's not even able to nail that down. But let's, for the sake of argument, say that this is his thing. Maybe he's really, really into butterflies. Maybe he's into them to a point that he knows Latin names for them and mm -hmm. he's got them all preserved Organized in and preserved. He knows exactly formaldehyde or tacked to a pegboard. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's brought his collection to school. This is something he's very he proud is, of. Maybe he is catching them. Maybe he's catching one. And that would be another thing. Hey, bug boy! It's a very we, specific thing for the bullies to latch on to. And so if we're given all of that stuff, we have something the character cares about, something that other people mock him for. We see the bullying. We feel his pain. We can say, okay, maybe it's a little dorky of a hobby, but also he's a kid with legitimate interests. If you're willing to look past being a middle schooler and thinking mm -hmm. everyone is dumb except for you, then any other listener would be like, no, it's cool that he has a hobby. Yeah. They end the conversation with him saying, they'll leave you alone. Trust me. We cut to the next scene. 
and Freddie is running and he gets to his door and he says, I guess dad was wrong about them. And then his mom opens the door and she's like, Freddie, what happened? Oh, I fell down. And then she goes through this laundry list of stuff. But how did you get all bloody? And oh, what happened to your new pants? And, and, what and it's this long back and forth again. He says, I didn't say it, how it, I fell down. And I think she talks about your nose is all bloody. So so it comes to it that he, he has been up. beat up by the other kids again. Again, though, we don't see it happen. It's all hearsay. It's him and his mom talking about the aftermath. Yeah, and I find it strange that he doesn't want to talk about it. I fell down. I didn't say how I fell down. Who says that? What kid says that? Yeah. By uh, this point, his mom should know, yes, you're being bullied at school because obviously what his Because he already had told. this conversation with his dad. So for him to say, yeah, I got beat up. Dad was wrong. And he doesn't say that to her. He says that to himself. Yeah, it's very strange and it's a pointless conversation because it doesn't really drive the story forward supposedly that is the impetus for his dad finally going to the principal and making a big stink about it yeah but you could have had the dad go to the principal without this scene oh you could have yes and like i said it doesn't really drive the story forward it's just kind of there which is true of most of the scenes in this episode yes so the next scene is another conversation with the principal and Freddie's dad. Yeah, Freddie's dad comes and he's got complaints, obviously. My son's yes. being picked on at school. His grades are dropping. One quick note. The voice of the principal is Paul McCusker, which we talked about him last episode as the voice of Philip Glossman. And I don't think they do this after this episode, but especially considering Philip Glossman's character down the road and his character arc they can't use hearing, Paul McCusker Hearing anymore. him as the school principal <laughs> is a little disconcerting. <laughs> yes. It's fun because there are actors on Odyssey who do multiple characters. But when they do, they are doing wildly different voices. Yes. Will Ryan does this all the time. The guy, I don't remember his name, but the guy who plays Crying Brian Dern has an elastic voice. He's apparently over 100 voices on Odyssey. Yeah. So they can do this. But unless Paul McCusker does something to change his voice, they can't use his normal voice anymore for anything else yeah because it automatically makes us nervous but he is a normal principal in this conversation and sort of he's not a good principal though. that's true so he says yes i talked to the kids who supposedly beat him up but they, they deny denied it. it and his dad's like well that's just what i would assume they would do and all throughout this conversation my thought was the bullies are treated the way stormtroopers are treated in Star Wars. They are faceless cannon fodder. We don't have to connect with them. We don't have to see them as real people. They are obstacles. They are plot devices. Yeah, they're non-characters. They're non-characters, and that was frustrating. Also, we hear a typewriter in the background. So is the secretary in the office with them, or is the door open? Yeah, we hear the typewriter going and going. That secretary is just going to town. <laughs> oh my goodness, typing, Phyllis, did you see? What's going typing, on in typing, the office typing, right now? Tappity, 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 the entire time. In Either the that or she's like the secretary in 10 Things I Hate About You and writing a salacious novel. Well, oh dear. I guess that's possible. Oh, no. But anyway, the weird thing with that to me is that if there's a parent conference coming to the principal, in a real situation, what I would assume is the principal would be like, oh, hello, irate parent. Please step into my office shut the door, have a private conversation, yes. let the parents say their piece. This is not something that is well, and I would public think, for I everyone would in the also, building to hear. Be there? Would potentially the other kids who have been accused of beating him up be there? Pa and their parents? Possibly. I'm not sure. Certainly not for a first meeting. Well, yeah. I would not get the parents the, all together unless you want The principal does not seem to, to take this quite as seriously as Freddie's dad is taking it. So Freddie's dad is asking what the principal can do about it and the principal's like well i can discipline the kids who pushed freddie around and try to keep an eye on him while he's at school which makes me wonder can he discipline the kids who pushed him around because did this happen on school property mm -hmm. did it happen during school hours and is there any proof besides yeah, no freddie's evidence. word it becomes freddie's word against theirs benefit of the doubt i would say okay keep an eye on these kids but also we can't punish them for something we can't Prove. When he says he can discipline them, he really can't in this point. Well, Unless he wants didn't... their parents all jumping down yeah. his throat. The principal has some influence, certainly, but his authority only goes so far in real life. 
Yeah. So his dad is like, is that all you can do? And he says, to be perfectly honest, we have nearly 300 students. I'd be lying if I told you we could keep track of each one. Which is a ludicrous statement. So while I was a high school teacher, I would have about 200 students under my authority. And I knew my kids by name. They knew me. Yeah. When I went to college, I went to a college that had 200 students. All of our professors knew us personally. And granted, it is college, but it's still, you got 200 young people to keep track of. You should know what's going on with each of them. It's a few enough number. For a school to have only 300 students is a very small school. That doesn't sound like a public school to me at all. That sounds like private school. And for that number, a principal had better know his students to Mm -hmm. say, I can't keep track of them. What is wrong with you? That's like your only job at that point. Not your only job, but that's your main thing. You should be keeping track of everything that goes on in that school if you're the principal. So he also does make the point, which is true, that if Freddie has a faculty hovering over him, then that's going to make the bullying worse. And his dad proceeds to rant a little bit. I know this is eating him up emotionally. His grades have gone down, and I don't know what to do about it. And his teachers say that he's not making trouble in school. Several things here. Josh made the point that this was not a very good principal. It shouldn't be the dad telling the principal or the teachers that Freddie's grades are down. The teacher should already have been talking to the principal, talking to Freddie's parents about, hey, Freddie's grades are down. Exactly. What's going on? And the principal kind of has this, sorry, I just don't know what to do for him. And to me, that's the worst possible response. It should be, hey, Freddie's grades are slipping and he doesn't seem to be doing well. How can we help him? And oftentimes when a teacher will have that kind of meeting, it'll be with the kid Mm -hmm. and with the parents and say, listen, your grades are dropping. You haven't turned in all of these assignments. Here's what you have not done. What's going on and how can I help you Mm -hmm. get where you need to be? Because you got to pass my class. How can I help you do that? Yeah. And we have new information, which it's not a good idea to make your readers recreate the scenario in their heads with the new stuff. Because if Freddie's grades were down and it was tearing him up emotionally, these are clues the parents should have seen and apparently have seen, but just not asked about until now. Because the initial conversation was coming out of left field. If your son is emotionally torn up about stuff and his grades are dropping, something's wrong. Ask questions. So the principal says... I'm sorry, I really am. I will do anything I can to help him. And then we have a cut scene to a conversation with a husband and wife talking about his conversation with the principal. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about talking. Yeah, he's dissatisfied with the conversation, but he kind of came in there prepared to be dissatisfied. And the wife asks, are they going to expel the kids who hurt him? His response is, yeah, probably, but I'm not sure that will do any good. And I go back to... Expel them on what grounds? They don't have the evidence to do that. You expel kids for drug use. You expel kids for fighting in the hallway. Yeah, there's multiple reasons to but expel. Not but not for being accused of beating up a kid. Yeah, or being accused of generic bullying. We don't yeah. even have specific, they beat him up. Yeah, this particular instance, they were talking specifically about the beating up. But again, we don't even know if the kids that were accused of beating him up are the same kids that are being accused of tripping him up with his lunch tray or... Or what's going on. It almost feels like Freddie is the victim of a school-wide vendetta. So now that school's not going to do anything and Freddie is so unhappy, they're going to change schools. Transfer him to a private school in Odyssey. Yeah, I stopped at Odyssey Academy and asked what it would take to transfer. And the only thing is that the mom is going to have to drive Freddie to school and then pick him up. And interestingly, that money's not a object of conversation here. Because generally switching to a private school from a public school, that's a very expensive shift. Yeah, because public school, you aren't paying for anything beyond your tax dollars. Private school, you're paying usually thousands of dollars per student per year so that's a good chunk of change the only change is that you've got to drive him to school instead of him walking or riding the bus i suppose yeah because the school itself might not be so close as the public school that he could walk so question are there two schools in odyssey well when the public school is only 300 students which sounds very podunk and very small why would you have a private school yeah unless it's like a co-op thing for smaller classes like what two kids in a classroom yeah that's 
really small. Unless it is a Christian school or something like that run out of a church. But we're not given any indication. It's just called Odyssey Academy. Yeah. At this point, I have in my notes, where is the thesis? Yeah. So we've got multiple theses battling each other and it becomes Mm -hmm. muddy. One is what Chris says at the beginning about Freddy trying to change schools and change himself with this kind of idea of, I guess, be yourself rather than trying to fit in with a crowd. We've also got now the dad like, I don't want to teach him to To run run from his problems. problems. Both of these are, I guess, legitimate theses for a kid's story. Yeah. But and, which and one is it? With the way that the story is going, because we can project that Freddy's problems of being picked on and not fitting in are going to crop up again at the private school, probably. Maybe in different manifestations, but it's not going to solve his problem simply to move to a different school. Yeah. Especially since we've not figured out what the problem fully is. And him trying to change himself to fit in is very likely not going to work. We switch now to finally something resembling a scene. Resembling, resembling in is the, the loosest word. sense. Because we see Freddie at school, sitting in class, school. first day of school, and then it proceeds to be him. And this kid, Gordy, having a conversation. Which, by the way, Gordy. <laughs> Just the character name. Yeah, there are people out there probably that are named Gordy. Maybe you're one of our listeners. Hello, Gordy. <laughs> so, okay. And Gordy begins the conversation by saying, oh, I hope she doesn't start with a math quiz. Why? I hate math. You're not good at it? I think it's fine. It's Freddie saying That's he Freddy thinks saying, it's fine. He's willing to help this other kid, yeah, Gordy, he said, I could, with I his can math. help you with your math. Oh, cool. I'm Gordy. And now we have actually some information about Freddie. He is good at math, something we didn't know before, which might have actually helped inform his character earlier when we're seeing him being bullied. Math nerd, which would be a really lame thing to make fun of someone for, but hey, no one says bullies are creative it's been and smart. Done before. So then the teacher comes in and she introduces Freddie because he's a new student. Hey, new student, stand up and tell us about yourself. And we hear a kid in the background say, why do you comb your hair so funny? And the class erupts in laughter, which is unrealistic. It's not really that funny. Yeah, all it is is some kid mentions that his hair looks weird and everyone laughs, laughs, but it feels unnatural. Yeah. Why would somebody call out why do you comb your hair so weird? Unless you're just a huge jerk and the rest of the class would recognize that as a jerkish thing to say. Yeah. So he says, I don't know. I like hanging around the house with my mom and dad. And everyone laughs again. And everyone laughs, which that's not a laugh worthy statement. That is painfully lame. Yeah, it's a little bit sad sounding. Why Why would you say that? But everyone laughs. And then he says, I'm thinking thinking of maybe starting a butterfly collection. And everyone laughs again. We had to pause and say, okay, we know a little bit why he might have been made fun of. Zuckerberg has more personality than he does. Napoleon Dynamite Napoleon has, Dynamite more, has more, more personality, personality than, than this he kid. Does. I was envisioning the scene from the beginning of Napoleon Dynamite where he's doing the interpretive dance butterfly hands <laughs> thing in the front of the class. And and you see all the other kids rolling their eyes at each other. Yeah. Napoleon but, but at no- least has wants. He at least has this secret love of hip hop dancing. Even his quirkiest like throwing a action figure out the window to drag it behind the bus just because he can, just because he wants to. Yeah. Napoleon Dynamite is not a cool kid. No. But he is a likable character because he is so unashamedly himself. Freddy is not even that. Freddy is personality less. To say, I was thinking about starting a butterfly collection shows no initiative. Readers will connect with characters who have agency. They have wants, they have needs, they and they have act desires, on those. and they act on those. And they can be the smallest things. They can be the smallest the things. Freddy has no opinions. Yeah, he's Mr. Nothing. Yeah. So the teacher very courageously tries to draw more out of him. She says, In your application, you said that you were interested in music. Do you play an instrument? And he said, Not yet, but I'm I would like about to learn the learning harp. The harp. Well, again, new information. And the Um, class laughs. And the class laughs. Good 
grief, yes. So my question is, Freddie, you're in middle school. Why haven't we learned the harp before? And no other instrument. Because I can understand his mom saying, okay, let's learn something a little less involved. Let's learn piano. Yeah. Along with and a harp is a big, expensive instrument. Yeah. Unless a kid showed some wherewithal, which I have no idea. I don't see that Freddie shows much wherewithal of anything. I would not be really into dropping the money on a harp. I would probably be like, oh, let's start you off maybe with a little lap harp or thing. Yeah. My sister to wanted see if to... you actually enjoy playing music at all. Mm-hmm. My sister wanted to play the harp and my mom actually talked to people who played and we were very quickly deterred because of the expense and because of not only the instrument itself, but the equipment necessary to haul it around. But all that said, a harp is a cool instrument. His desire to want to play the harp could be cool if he actually showed any commitment toward it. Yes, nothing seems to drive him. The only driving force we have been given is, I want to be accepted by these kids, which is almost a non-want. Everybody wants to be accepted and mm-hmm. to fit in. We've also had a more dynamic acceptance story in Life of the Party. Yes, we did. Was that kid's name Freddy as well? No, Freddy was the kid who was like, I don't get it. Oh, okay, yeah, they, yeah. I'm trying to remember what the kid's name was in Life of the Party. Generic kid number four. Billy? Bobby? It might have been Bobby. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Whatever his name was. <laughs> it kind of does the same thing. I hadn't mm-hmm. even thought about that. Yeah. So the first day seems to have gone really well. He met this kid, Gordy. They seem to be friends. And then we have a cut, which is, I think, a time cut to Freddy. At lunch. At lunch. And looking for somebody. And he finds Gordy. He's like, hey, Gordy. And, and Gordy is like, really Hi, hesitant Freddy. to sit with him. Oh, you remembered my name. Yeah, of course I remembered your name. You're the only kid who has a year's worth of pens in his shirt pocket. So the pocket protector pens stereotype again we're given new information yes that we hadn't had before and we have to reconstruct freddie a little bit and so now we see him with a pocket full of pens which why that is such a stereotype for the uber nerd is he an uber nerd so i don't the, think the he difficulty is. with freddie is we've he got ha- all of these disparate qualities and tastes we have the pocket protector pens apparently he has funny hair but why would you notice his hair unless he has like Unless it's, hair. Yeah, unless it's truly ridiculous. But we don't have any indication of that until one of the kids makes fun of it. The and just saying, why does your hair look weird is not anything concrete. No, we have, he's good at math. We have the harp and the butterfly collection. But there's no unifying part. I can't we, get a picture of him in my head. He's a pile of stuff. He's not a character. <laughs> he's just a big heaping pile of stuff. And it's really hard to connect with a pile. When I try to picture him in my head, he's like those formless, ghosty characters out of the Family Circus comics. The not me. Oh, who, who did this? Not me. And yeah. then you have a silhouette of it's who's the, not me. It's the silhouette. Yes, but those it's little this things. Blobby like balloon <laughs> ghost with character. Legs. That's what I'm picturing when I see him. He's this formless nothing. Yes. Freddie's response is, yeah, I used to keep them in my pants, but they kept poking me in the leg. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Is that supposed to be funny? No. It's not funny. One thing here is that the reason why he shouldn't keep his pens in his pocket, and I know this from personal experience of washing Josh's pants when he was a teacher, is you keep pens in your pocket and they will break. Yeah, so and I, leak all over your pocket. I keep pens in my pocket sometimes, and that happens. I keep knives in my pockets, and they cut holes in my pockets. Your keeping, keys cut holes. In keeping your things in my pockets. It's not a good idea. A more realistic response to this comment would be, yeah, I used to keep them in my pants pocket, but my mom made me stop because they kept breaking or she was tired of washing the ink out of my pants. That's more realistic and actually would be funny. I would laugh over that because it's so true. It's like eating a hot pocket and your mouth will be burning lava afterwards. It's a very real visceral, oh, I know what that's like kind of moment rather than they kept poking me in the leg. Yeah, unless you're wearing your pants weird. Then he asks, can I sit here? And Gordy is like, uh, please, I've been all over the cafeteria and no one will sit with me. Oh, Freddy, you sound very desperate. Gordy relents. He relents, but he sounds very reticent. 
yeah, he's not a fan of sharing his lunch table with a kid who is so clearly a loser. And they start talking about the math test because Freddie's like, so how do you think you did on the math test? I think I bombed it. Oh, well, you know, I can still help you with math. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. Which doesn't sound realistic because the way that he says it sounds like he doesn't know about that because Freddie is a loser. Not because it has anything to do with math. Yeah, he doesn't want to be associated with Freddie. With Freddie. Now, if we're talking about getting math help, he may not want to be associated with Freddie, but still want math help. So I can see it being this, okay, just keep it on the down low. Let's not talk about it very much. We'll go meet at this time, and then we don't associate with each other on a friendly basis anytime else. That's a perfectly realistic scenario. There's also the, I don't want math help because I don't care. I don't care what my grade is. I don't care about math. I hate math. And we don't really get that vibe particularly. No. It's more the former than yeah. the latter. But for him to say, no, we're not going to do any math because I don't want to be seen with you, feels weird. Freddy pushes him on it. He's like, well, what's wrong? Are you mad at me? Did I do something? And he's like, you really want to know? And Gordy starts giving him this list of ways he's uncool and instructions on how to be cool, which Okay, so taking a time travel trip back into my late elementary, early middle school self, some of the things that were cool and not cool were explicitly codified. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were left unspoken, and they were codified, but you had to pay attention. You just got a general vibe if you didn't yeah. do the cool things that you were uncool. Exactly. And so for him to give this conversation, it's again, this talking head thing going mm -hmm. on. It's also an unrealistic conversation where he feels compelled to tell him, okay, harps are for girls. Butterflies are for, for girls. girls. You're going to seem like a total wuss if you're into butterflies and harps. Get some pants that fit and go down to your ankles. Yeah, Gordy's he... giving him fashion advice? Yeah. That's another piece of information that we're given right then, yeah. is he apparently wears high water pants. Which is not always in his control. I'd say that is a question of, does he choose his own pants? Well, and he's growing fast, and yeah. maybe his family can't afford. Ford. But also, that's probably not something another kid would tell you. It's just something that the kids would look at you and be like, oh, that guy. Yeah. So having Gordy spell it out feels unrealistic to me. Yes. He also tells him to change his hair. How many times did you talk to your guy friends about y'all's hair? Um, that would be basically nothing. <laughs> Um, a little bit. You know, that was the early 2000s, late 90s. So, of course, you have guys bleaching their hair and frosting their hair and spiking it up. Hair yep. gel is really, really popular. Yep. When I was a kid, I was very much a comb my hair to the side kid and then started trying to gel my hair. And I don't think it really, I I don't think it really worked oh well goodness, for me. I think I remember. That. Yeah, th that's <laughs> kind of a painful memory. <laughs> I have vague recollections of Josh with gelled hair. Yeah, I spent some of that time with guys' short hair in the front. And I remember trying to do the little front flip thing with gel. My hair is coarse enough that it just went straight up. Whereas my hair is fine enough that I wanted to get the spike, the spiked up punk rock hair that there all the skater go. kids had. And my hair just would never do that. And I just looked like a dork. It was this sort of high but, pile carpet. But all that said, that was something that no one told me, Josh, you really need to do your hair differently. I looked around at the people around me. Yes. Felt uncool, wanted to be cool, thus tried things. And I can laugh at my middle school self now. But that was a thing. Yes. So then Gordy starts giving him this prescriptive advice on his hobbies and his interests. You shouldn't say that you want to play the harp, that's lame. You should have said you wanted to play something cool, like electric guitar or drums. This is the one point where Freddie says, I don't think so. But this is the extent of a backbone that. that he has, yeah. and that's it. Throughout this conversation, if Freddie responds, Gordy's like, well, you asked me to tell you, almost like, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but these are just the facts, man. Out of the goodness of my heart that I'm, I'm telling, telling you this you stuff. Then he moves on to, oh, and you shouldn't have your mom drop you off in front of the school. It's really embarrassing, man, especially when she blows you kisses. 
So here's the thing. When kids are embarrassed by that sort of thing, I've always had the impression that it's that kid who's embarrassed and no one else around cares. Yeah. This bit also called to mind for me a really fun scene from the movie Into the Spider-Verse, which if you haven't seen it, I really recommend it for pretty much everyone. It's my favorite animated movie of the past couple of years and my favorite superhero movie of the past couple of years. It's really, really excellent in really every way. There's a scene early in the film where the main character, Miles Morales, he's like a freshman in high school. He's getting dropped off at a new school. He wants to be cool. He wants wants to fit in but his dad is a cop and he's dropping him off in, in the, the cop, cop car, car which is extremely conspicuous and then as he's trying to look really hip and saunter up the steps to the school his dad gets on the bullhorn and does this whoop whoop miles i love you uh yeah dad you gotta say it back dad? what you gotta say it back say i love you Say I love you. Every time he turns around to go back to school, he does the siren. Whoop! Say I love you. Say I love you, Dad. And he's getting more and more physically embarrassed. You see the anxiety on this poor kid's face. But what also makes that scene great is that there's tons of other kids around. None of them care. They're, it's not their circus. It's not their they're monkeys. They're kind of smiling. There's no pointing and laughing. It's mildly care. amusing, yeah. if anything else. But it's more mildly amusing at the situation, not because, haha, look at this loser. His his dad loves him. Yeah. No one does that. Nobody has that. So it's very weird for Gordy to make a big deal of that because it's falling back again on the shorthand of tropic dweebiness. This is lame. This, this is, is cool. cool. Rather than seeing characters as a spectrum of, in some ways I might be mainstream cool, in some ways I may not well, be at even all. even codifying what is mainstream cool. Again, 10 Things I Hate About You reference. There's that whole scene in the beginning where the geeky guy is showing the new kid around and there are stereotypical but distinct subgroups within the private school. Here's the jocks. Here's the nerds. Here's the this. Here's, here's the, the drama that. kids. Here's the... Yeah. And the geeky kid himself is like, I used to be the geek's god until they found out I got my tech second hand. So there's gradations of cool within subgroups. This is just binary lame kids and cool kids and never the twain shall meet yeah. to be more realistic what winds up happening in real social circles is the quote-unquote lame kids often form their own cliques around their own interests and then the quote-unquote cool kids might be just as excluded from those groups you have weird tribal tendencies begin to pop up in high school in particular yes. as kids are trying to find their place in the world. Yes. Hopefully as people become adults and grow, then a lot of those lines blur and fade away. At this school, though, apparently, the way they've set it up is Freddy is the only one. At his old school, at this school, he is the only one that yeah. is lame. Everyone is cool, except for, for you. Freddy, it doesn't make sense. Except listening to this episode, I agree, Freddy's a loser. This is true. <laughs> the way that they have set up Freddy, it makes sense. But it's not because he likes the harp or wears high water pants. It's because he has no opinions or tastes. Anyway, we're going to get off that. He swallows this advice hook, line, and sinker because we cut to another scene where his mom is, I don't even know if she's knocking on the bathroom door or what, you hear a hair dryer and she says, Freddy, we're going to be late for school. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can't get my hair right. And she opens the door and he's like, ta-da! He walks out like... Steve from Stranger Things with the Farrah Fawcett locks. Big poofy hair is Mullet what I head. picture because she's like, what have you done? <laughs> what? I thought if I changed my hair, I would look cooler. The kids would accept me. And his clothes too. She's like, what are those clothes? They're cool clothes. And that's about all the description we get. We have no actual picture of what he looks like. He says, I want to look a little more with it, you know? With my new look, I'm going to be too cool for words, which I'm like, stop right there, buddy. If you want to be cool, stop saying phrases like, I'm going to be too cool for words. That's the opposite of cool. Abort. Abort. And his mom is just confused. And I would be too if suddenly my kid pulled out these clothes that I had never seen before. Because especially if he's at this age, she's probably still buying his clothes. So my thought is, did you find your dad's high school chest upstairs? 
stars or something. Also, what is is his idea of cool clothes in the 80s? Forget where did he get them because we have no picture. Is he decked out in head-to-toe leather like Michael Jackson? Wow. Or is he wearing bright, flashy neon pinks and greens like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Or what's going on here? Or has he done something to the clothes that he already has to try to make them look cooler? Cut holes in them and then, like, punk uh, who rock? Knows or... what in the world he's been doing? So, his mom has a very tame response, especially if he's been doing something like that. It's very nice. Honey, you know you don't need to change. You are fine the way you are. I'm also going to play devil's advocate here a little bit and say there are some situations where changing things about yourself might not be such a problem. There's a degree to which when in Rome, do as the Romans do. If you're in a certain culture, if you're in a certain place, if you're in a certain school, there's something wrong with wanting to dress fashionably or wanting to be liked or wanting to try new things, even new hobbies or sports or whatever that he hasn't done before. All of that is fine. I would say the don't change who you are thing is more related to core things. Don't change who you are simply to be accepted. The question would be, do you like that? Do you feel comfortable in those clothes? Do you feel comfortable in that hairstyle? Okay, if you do, we can go with this. And he might look like an idiot, but we've established that I look like an idiot. There are plenty of times we have looked like absolute idiots and been comfortable. And I think that's a normal part of life is when you get to adulthood, looking back at those pictures of yourself and your friends, being like, oh my goodness, oh my poor child, what were you thinking? (laughs) Why did my parents let me do that? And I actually have had conversations with my parents about that. And my mom has said, we weren't wanting to squash your personality and you were being modest and you weren't doing anything wrong so we just hoped you would get out of it so he kind of blows her off and then we cut again to her picking him up and you hear him sniffing and his mom says what's the matter and he says can we go home i want to go home So he went to school, and again, this is more of the, we don't see anything that happens, it's all after the fact. Apparently, this did not go so well. He was not accepted by his peers. Because in the background, as he's getting in the car, you can hear the sort of sing-songy kid voices. Saying what? Nothing. It's a similar trick that they did with the pop song in the Monty episode, where it is the teasing tone, and they're saying words, but you can't figure out what words they're saying. So I think not only did it not go well, he didn't give any positive feedback, he got jeered at. And then they have a commercial break. So we're going to have a commercial break. And we come back to that evening, his dad's home from work. Maybe Freddie has been in his room all afternoon, we don't know. In disgrace in fortune in men's eyes, alone be weeping his outcast state. Quite possibly. Because when his dad comes in, he's like, I try and I try and they still don't like me. And they made fun of me because of my clothes and mom drives me to school. And his dad says, Freddie, if I had known this was why you wanted to change schools, we never would have let you do it. And then they have a moment of real talk, which is probably the only bit of this episode that I actually liked where he's like, okay, Freddie, how much are you willing to change yourself? in order to be accepted. Whatever it takes. Really? Whatever it takes. Suppose that they say they don't like the birdhouse you built in the backyard. Are you going to stop doing that? What if they say they don't like our house? Are we going to repaint it? What if they say they don't like your mom? They don't think she's pretty. Do we get a new mom? That's silly, Dad. And that's the point. He's pushing it to the most absurd ends to make his point, saying, listen, You should have a limit on what you will give up to be acceptable to other people. But it's also not going to change you. He uses the adage, you can dress a dog up in cat's clothing, but it is still a dog. And Freddie kind of, well, I don't understand. Yeah, I'm not sure I really get that one either. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. You're still Freddie Hart. And then he ties it back to, do you remember us talking about this in church a couple weeks ago? The only way people really change is on the inside, in your heart. Freddie says, well, the kids at school can't see my heart. No, but they do. Everybody can see your heart. It's not going to change simply because you change your clothes. But the big question is, why do you want to change? Who do you want to be acceptable to? Who do you think I want to be acceptable to? To my boss, I want to be a good worker. What else? Mom? Yeah. You know who else, Freddie? Most importantly, I want to be acceptable to God. 
And here we're getting into the... Kind of the point of the episode, which they haven't actually brought up, but this is the point of the episode. And then he says, Freddy, you don't have to change who you are. We love you. We think you're wonderful. Your teachers think you're great. You are kind. You are well-mannered. You are acceptable. And Freddy says, we forgot somebody to add. Does God love me? Does God like me? <laughs> and he says, God not only likes you, he loves you. What do I have to do to be acceptable to him? Which is the right question. I would say that's the right question of human existence. Mm -hmm. His dad says, you don't have to do anything. You let him make the changes in you. How? First you ask forgiveness for your sins, and then you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. And Freddie says, oh, yeah, they talked about that in Sunday school, but I don't remember how to do it. And the dad says, well, let's talk about that. And we hear the audio fading out as he's getting out his Well, Bible, he also basically. makes the point, I like before they fade out, he says, are you sure you want to do this? No, this is not going to change anything at school. Yeah. He makes You're it not clear. going to become hip and popular if you choose if to follow choose. God. And Freddie's like, well, I'm not popular now. So then... We fade out with his dad opening the Bible. And then we cut to one final scene between Freddie and his mom the next morning. Dad has already left to go to work. Mm -hmm. He comes in and he sits down at the breakfast table. and she We hear says, bacon frying yeah. or some such. We're very, very pleased about what you did last night. I know, remember? You couldn't stop hugging and kissing me. Which, was yeah, cringy. I didn't like it. It was strange. And she says, we've been praying you would accept Jesus since you were born. She does make the point, so you do understand that this is probably not going to change anything at school. God will make changes in you, but nothing outside is going to change. And Freddie says, I know, but I figured with Jesus inside me, it might not be as bad. I mean, he got picked on a lot himself, so he might know how I feel. Which is shallow, but okay. Yeah. We're going to get to some of my issues with that. But Fine. then he asks, do you think I could start taking harp lessons? And she says, absolutely. And, and that's the end of the episode. The it shows that yeah. he's gained some self-confidence because of Jesus. And so, now he can play the harp. Which, when you spell it out like that, wow. sounds so silly. So, but that's how it goes. Kind of. So, good things about this. His dad was very clear about bringing this whole struggle with identity, I'm trying to figure out who I am, what I'm doing, back to God. Who do you find your identity in? Who ought you to be striving to please? Mm -hmm. And that led into a gospel message. Of sorts. Of sorts. The difficulty I have is throughout especially this conversation. He references, do you remember we saw that in church? Or, oh yeah, they talked about that in Sunday school. I don't remember. He's not paying attention. This the way he's presenting it is almost as if Freddie is hearing this stuff for the first time, which if mom and dad are doing their jobs, this, this shouldn't be, no be his first exposure to these ideas. He should ideas. ask the question, who ought you to be acceptable to? And Freddie should be like, God. Yeah, and then it moves on to, so do you believe that this is acceptable to God? Do you believe you are being acceptable to God? And Freddie doesn't get it. He's in middle school. He should have this ingrained in his bones by now. Even if he has not made a public profession of faith and said, I am a Christian, I believe all of this. He should at least know the ideas. Yeah, which that brings back to his mom talking about, we've been praying that you would accept Jesus since you were born. Have you not been preaching the gospel to him since he was born then? Yeah. What have you been doing? That is the major problem I have. And then we get into Chris. And weirdly, we hear the chemicals bubbling in the background yes. from the, so she's still Dr. the lab. Schnitzelbunker bit. Schnitzelbunker's just not there. Yeah. Or doesn't say anything. He's standing <laughs> creepily silent to the side. <laughs> but she says, Freddie experienced a change that will last for all eternity. And you know what's true for Freddie is true for you, too. God loves you and wants to help you become a better person. All you have to do is ask his son, Jesus, to come into your heart. If you don't know how to do that, go talk to your parents or your pastor. And then we segue out of the episode. And the ending theme music, and that's that. As is our want, we have problems with Chris. Yeah, before we get into the problems we have on Chris, I need to say we're about to step on some toes here. And sorry, not sorry. We're trying really hard to be as biblical as we can with these. 
as biblical as we can without getting denominational. I'm not really interested in splitting theological no. hairs. I'm much more interested in what does the Bible actually have to say and what are things that believers of all denominations ought to be able to agree on. So, two major problems, actually, and they're related and they stack into each other. Some of one of the problems is in the actual episode a little bit. Yeah. Not as much, but... So, the first problem I have is a semantic one, really. And it's this idea of asking Jesus into our hearts. We said when we began this show that this is kind of a time capsule for evangelical Christianity in, in a the era, in a particular yeah. era. And it's a phrase that honestly in the circles I find in, myself in, the circles, in I, I haven't really to... heard it very often. Oh, right now. In these days, I heard it all the time when I was a kid. And I think it's a phrase that's kind of outlived whatever usefulness it might have once had. And even that is a bit dubious to me. Because the idea of asking Jesus into your heart is never found in scripture. Not once is that ever mentioned. And we can understand it's kind of a metaphor, a cute phrasing for the conversion experience. Yeah, semantically, if you look at the context in which it was presented, is do you want to pray and ask Jesus into your heart? And the thinking around it was, that's you becoming a Christian. It's, you weren't a Christian, now you're a Christian. Light switch. It's the old-timey hem, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And it's almost mantra-like with no real basis in scripture. You could sing that song and I could ask, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Absolutely. There's no confession of my sin. There's no statement of repentance. There's no trust in grace. Literally, you're just saying, come into my heart. Yeah. Every conversion experience you see in the New Testament or times when the apostles are preaching the gospel. It's always very it's always specific. Repent and be baptized. Yeah, and every it's a single turning from your sin, repent of your sin, because the bad news of the gospel is that we are so sinful and so broken and so innately wicked. We are not at all acceptable to God. And therefore, there is a responsibility of repent of your sin and be baptized. The public and declaration of, I am accepting Christ's robe of righteousness that he is putting upon myself. I am declaiming to everybody, I am dead and buried with Christ and risen again. That's what the baptism was. And is. And is, yes. That's what it's meant to represent. So when Chris says, all you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart, especially given the lack of fleshing out yeah, there's of no that thing in the episode. You could just say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, without knowing what that means. And, and does that I would mean... say that's not a genuine conversion. No, but somebody listening potentially could believe that. All I have to do is say, come into my heart. I accept Jesus into my heart and I'm a Christian now. And that's why I say that that phrase has probably outlived its usefulness. I think when we are discussing the gospel, especially with unbelievers, we need to be very careful about choosing our words and very careful not to overstep or understep what the Bible actually says. It would have been better, possibly, if she even just left out that phrase and encouraged them to go talk to your parents or your pastor about... What must I do to what be must saved? I do to be saved? Which, granted, she does direct her listeners to your parents or your pastor, and that's good, but I think she could have said less. Mm -hmm. As and, often is the case with Chris. And had it be better. Yes. So, my second point is related to the idea of salvation. Chris says God loves you and wants you to become a better person. And we see that also happen kind of in the episode itself. Mm. We hear something similar. It's very focused on God changing you ready. And why this is problematic is that it is a man-centric gospel message. The reason for getting saved is so that God will change me and I will be a better person. Rather than coming from an understanding of who God is as the sovereign creator of the universe and I owe him all homage, how can I be acceptable to him? And I throw myself on his mercy. Yes. 
it turns Jesus into a self-help guru, almost. And I know that's In the not w- their intention. No, not here. The worst types of this kind of thing do that unabashedly. But it's not what they were meaning here. Yeah, I don't think that's what they intended, no. but that philosophy still seeps in, and it's a dangerous one. Yes. I know we just scratched the surface on this, and as we said, we are trying not to tread on anybody's toes, because there is a lot that could be unpacked with this. So we will say good night, good afternoon, good morning. Just like sometimes when it's better if Chris stops talking. It's better if we stop talking. Yeah, probably so. wiser. Thank you so much for sticking with us for an entire album. This is the last episode of Album One. The Adventure Begins. It's hard to believe we've gone through all of them this quickly. It feels like almost yesterday that we just sat down and started recording the first one. Yeah, and it's sort of become part of the routine now. Thank you guys so much. We're going to take a break for the rest of 2020 because of the holidays. We'll come back with Album Two wildest summer ever in january at some point in december there might be a full recap episode yeah it'll probably be a little bonus episode where we rank the episodes from worst to to least least worst. worst in this album also one final note we got an email from a native minnesotan and we apparently in the previous episode pronounced edina incorrectly we pronounced it edina it should be edina so we apologize to all of you native minnesotans we've not been in that area and we're southerners yeah so so we can't talk if you want to send us an email and nitpick on pronunciation, nitpick on comments. Or just harass us over our theological views. You can email us at serpentanddovespecfic, that's S-P-E-C-F-I-C, at gmail.com, and we will see you in 2021. Peace.